0: You'll be energized by lots of practical tips inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Welcome to Positivity Strategist. I'm Robin Stratenburg Kessel and this is episode 78. I'm delighted to introduce my unique guest Fran Bitterly. Fran Bitterly leads a wealth management team as Managing Director, Wealth Advisor, Senior Portfolio Management Director and Certified Financial Planner. He's based in Red Bank, New Jersey. Fran, a very warm welcome to Positivity Strategist.
1: Oh, thank you, Robin. It's great to be with you.
0: Yeah, I'm delighted that we could have this conversation. Fran's not my usual kind of guest in the sense that makes him extra special. So let me give you a little bit um, of the background. Fran graduated from Rutgers University in New Jersey with a Bachelor of Science in Business Management, and for the past 32 years, he's helped his clients make wise and informed decisions about their money to enable them to achieve what is most important to them. And he's also been recognised five times by Barron's Magazine as one of the nation's top financial advisors. Now, how did I come to meet Fran? Well, I first caught glimpse of Fran at the end of summer in 2016, sitting on a park bench overlooking the Shrewsbury River in Red Bank, New Jersey. I was walking around while my husband, Jürgen, was practising his drone flying to pass the FAA drone pilot test. Now, Fran went up to Jürgen to chat, as many guys did in the park, <laughs> and then he came over to me and we had a wonderful conversation. He was curious about me as a positivity strategist and it led to a rich conversation about the value of positivity and spirituality in transforming lives. I discovered that he had just written a book that was still at that time looking for a publisher. The title was intriguing and I asked if I might read it. The name of the book is The Yoga of True Wealth. Now already you might be getting a sense of its message. The subtitle gives you an even better clue, and that subtitle is Wisdom from a Heart on Wall Street. So, Fran, let's start there. Tell me about that title of the book.
1: Well, the, the title initially was going to be just Wisdom from a Heart on Wall Street or Spiritual Wisdom, but uh, as the book uh, moved on, uh, I, I think the idea of uh, yoga, which means union with God, uh, and true wealth, which is this uh, ineffable uh, spirit or formlessness, became the uh, – the focus just seemed this was a, a nice way to convey it. My, my daughter kids with me and says she's the one who named the book. Um, I, I think another friend of mine had some input in terms of uh, a spiritual – friend who who mentioned uh, the title, but uh, it just came together and it, it just fit nicely.
0: It certainly does, yeah. Um, and what about the motivation to write the book? What's important to you in writing this book, Fran?
1: Yeah, the, the book, you know, kind of wrote itself. Uh, initially, uh, I, I, I guess it was the, it had been suggested to me by uh, some friends in California, to write a book. They said, boy, you, you know, you're, you're, you've reached a certain level in the business and this is uh, a credibility issue. Uh, and when I went in to kind of begin to think about writing a book, I knew I couldn't just write a, an investment book. I knew that, uh, and I must give a little, uh, mention that I may, I may break up a little bit in an emotion when I talk about this because it's very hard for me. Uh, to talk about the subject matter without really feeling the essence of the true wealth within me. And so I knew as I started to uh, to write and to even before I even began to write, I knew this book had to be about the uh, the experience I had as a young man losing a mother and then overcoming uh, a, tr- a teenage alcohol problem. Not it didn't drink every day, but I knew I had to talk about this. A magnificent awakening that I had at age 21. And then, you know, what came after it, I had some wonderful success in business. But I also, as I've gotten older, really became a, a deeper seeker of uh, spiritual uh, truth with a capital T truth with a capital T. And this is where this book uh, evolved out of.
0: And what I love so much about the beginning of the book is you do tell that personal story, which is very touching. And I have to say, I also, um, you know, was emotionally moved, um, by your story, losing your mother at the age of four and what deep connection you had with her, um, even at that tender age.
1: Yes. Yes. And she what is unique is that and I asked an audience the other day if if uh, one could remember, if anyone could remember when they became aware of their own consciousness here on Earth. In other words, sometime when we're around five or six or some 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 cases uh, it's it's earlier we become we we can think back as we, we age when we were aware of just being here on Earth. And for me, it was really being in the midst of my mother. So that that was kind of the but she, what was unique was the, the lessons that she taught. And they, they and I remember so, so clearly, for instance, being in her the backyard, looking up at the sky and her pointing to the sky and saying someday we'll swing on a star together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also mentioned uh, some beautiful, uh, you know, a beautiful song she sang to me when I was little uh the beautiful uh child song row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Uh merrily, merrily, merrily life is but a dream. And as I now that I'm uh much older, I realize the truth of her words um and the spiritual um me- metaphysical truth of her words. And she taught about love and she taught about living from the heart and you know, we, I, I somehow, you know, remembered all of it. So my, my consciousness awareness became, you know, three and a half, four years old. And certainly that I took with me when I really needed it when I was 21 and I was kind of going, going in a different direction than, uh, than my true self wanted to.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there were a number of other challenges that you had. You talked about the alcoholism at um, a at very young age. And then you maybe you would share, you know, what precipitated your wake-up, if you will.
1: Yeah, I, I think, first of all, once again, awareness. You know, I was very blessed that uh, I had an uncle who uh, had gotten sober. and uh, he, he, And so when I was about 18 the concept of, you know, if if you can't just have one drink without getting drunk, then you may have a problem. And with me, it was really uh, an inherited situation. When I had my first drink, I got drunk and I never wanted to have a drink without really drinking a lot. And so, uh, you know, I managed to, you know, it was controlled because of my age up until 18. But once I graduate from high school and you have kind of the, you know, the chains taken off you, it, it it's very quickly spiraled into a, you know, a situation where I was in, uh, what I call the dark night of the soul, where you really go through the agony of, uh, of the experience of, of, you know, not being true to yourself. So there was a voice inside of me that was telling me that there's a better way. And there was the awareness from my uncle and one of my, my brothers. And so it was a, uh, there is a solution to having drinking problems. You don't take the first drink. Mm-hmm. And so once I once I got my once I got sober, my life took off, and uh, I went back to school and was able to. At the time I I got sober, I only had about you know 16 college credits, and I was you know those were meager grades and I was struggling commuting to Rutgers. But once I got sober, I just started to build the momentum of goodness that comes from living with, uh, with virtues and, you know, and eradicating vices. And, and it was just a, a a wonderful, uh, challenge. Um, and I certainly went through, uh, some very unique challenges in early sobriety, going to college, commuting to college,
0: Coming back to the book, um, I mentioned your personal story and you've shared a little bit of that now which is very touching and gives us context and a full appreciation of how you embarked or you started on this path. But what also I loved about the book is the number of extraordinarily beautiful quotes from a lot of wisdom traditions and spiritual practices from Christianity to Hinduism to Buddhism and others. So I'm curious to know, um, at what point did you start, did you seek to, to go deeply into these very broad spiritual practices? When, when, when did that start happening for you, Fran?
1: Well, it, it really, in the beginning, um, it was my own childhood faith, which I have today. Uh, Christianity. And I'm, I consider myself a, uh, a a mystical Christian, if you will, one who is open to uh, truth from many directions, but understands now a much different uh, understanding of, of Christ. Uh, so it was in the beginning, it was really relying on, on Christ and on what my mother, you know, some, she was very spiritual. Um, there were, there, it was really relying on just that faith. You know, I had surrendered, uh, in, uh, when I was 21 years old, I was so fortunate that, you know, someone reached their hand out to me and, and, you know, as I got older though, I continued to try to understand there was always a fundamental sense of lack. And I think it's deep down inside of many, we all it, and it's been alluded to by every great spiritual teacher who has ever lived and the root cause of of you know i was realizing the root cause of my stress even as a you know as a businessman and a a successful one was was this you know spiritual hunger that nothing in the world could satisfy and i began to really seek to uh you know to really try to understand it so i started to read uh buddhism and i started to read the hindus uh the great vedas and the uh, vedanta uh, Uh, Tradition. I began to study the Course in Miracles and the Tao Te Ching, and uh, reading different books. And it it, over about a ten or twelve year period, it it just began to mushroom and become my the focus of my life. When I'm not working, now I still work, and I'm you know I'm very uh, competitive, and I go into the office and do my job. But it's interesting in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, uh, Krishna. Uh, tells uh, Arjuna that, you know, when he's on the battlefield, you have to fight, you have to go in and do your job. So in do in work and know that, you know, this is a bit of a dream here, not that it's not real, it is real. But at the same time, you don't attach yourself to the results as much as you know, and it's, you know, it's hard sometimes not to be taking uh, everything so seriously. But that's what these great traditions teach us. So then I went back and I started to really Just look at, you know, Jesus's words as opposed to all of the different dogmas, especially in the Gospel of Thomas. And uh, you can see just how real and truthful uh, Jesus's words were. Um, And I I love Jesus very, very much. But it's I also understand and give room to all these great traditions because they're all moving towards the – the goal, if you will,
0: mm-hmm. and and that goal being unity, right, and also
1: exactly the goal from
0: your own ego.
1: Yes, the ego is—it's not to be considered an enemy because it isn't. It's when we wake up in the morning, there comes here comes the ego. Ego is wakefulness. It's we need it to. You know, there's—it's not to be. You know, uh, considered an enemy, but in reality. The ego is the part of us that tells us we're separate. We're individual. We're individuated. Uh, the Hindus call it the jiva, uh, if you will. And um, when you move towards yoga or towards union with God, which Jesus did, of course, and uh, you know Buddha wouldn't answer when he was asked, you know, about God. He just didn't answer. But it's the same movement of losing the self, the small self, and realize and opening to the ocean of of spirit, which is everything. And it's almost indescribable. It's almost, you know, when, when you get to a certain point, you really can't, you know, because God is beyond our comprehension in a sense. It's so that, you know, it, so it, that's where this, uh, this takes us and it, it's actually non-duality, they call it. advaita Vedanta is the, uh, the non-duality meaning not to, and that's what yoga is, real yoga, real spiritual yoga is becoming one with God where you can, you're, you move to the heart and out of the, the mind. You know, the mind is not going to help. The mind, you know, we need our minds, but the mind will trip us up and real, real uh, salvation, if you will, or nirvana is beyond the mind.
0: And um, another thing about the book that I really love is that at the end of each of your chapters – You have these, um, contemplations where you're inviting the reader to reflect, to consider some of the inspirations or traditions that you're sharing in each chapter. So it becomes almost like here's an opportunity to practice, to not only just read, but to practice. And I want to say, Fran, that I often pick up the book just to be inspired by one of the, um, by a part, some of the readings that you share.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. One of the, you know, I'll give you an example of uh, Cahill, uh, Cahill Gibran, the prophet. And, and this is a beautiful, beautiful uh, writing, beautiful poem. And he, he says, your pain is the breaking of the shell that, and I might get a little emotional. Your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding, even as the stone of the fruit must break that its heart may stand in the sun. So must, you know, pain, And could you keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles of your life? Your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy, and you would accept the seasons of your heart even as you have always accepted the seasons that pass over your fields. And you would watch with serenity through the winters of your grief. Much of your pain is self-chosen. It is the bitter potion by which the physician within you heals your sick self. Therefore, trust the physician and drink his remedy in silence and tranquility For his hand, though heavy and hard, is guided by the tender hand of the unseen, and the cup he brings, though it burns your lips, has been fashioned of the clay which the potter has moistened with his own sacred tears. That is a a beautiful writing, and the, the contemplation that follows is, consider deeply your own personal dark night of the soul and how it affected you. What were the most powerful lessons you learned? How did it affect your values? Have there been times in your life when you have chosen love over ego and times when you have not? What were the differences in the outcome of those experiences? Consider how they have, they have affected you. Are there any relationships or situations in your current reality that would benefit from more love and less ego? Where are they? Who are they? Consider deeply before reading on how you can bring more peace into these dynamics take a few soft gentle deep breaths put down the book drop in again to that pure feeling of awareness and allow the imagination its freedom and peace trust breathe enjoy
0: and so you really it's an invitation to the power that we have to make choices and to and to create our own transformation
1: yes and this is where i understood After studying these other great traditions and uh, Gibran, for instance, is a, uh, uh, you know, is not a Christian. So it's a Eastern. He's an Eastern writer and actually a Sufi. Um, What I realized, though, is this is the treasure that Jesus spoke about. So you do your job, go about your business, be as good as you can be in the dance of life. But know, And this is the yoga of true wealth. Know that there are there is something beyond All of our accomplishments and all of our personal identities, that is the real treasure of life. And there's such a peace, such a – it's called the peace that passeth all understanding. And uh, in The Course in Miracles, basically the very summary of The Course in Miracles is that nothing real can be threatened. And and nothing unreal really exists. Mm. Therein lies the peace of God.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Fran. Let me pivot a little bit. How are you using your philosophy or faith in your business? You know, how do you tra- can do you attribute your success as a wealth manager to how you live your life personally?
1: Yes. Well, I, I think one of the one of the things that has helped me through my career has been caring. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and obviously, if you care about the people you serve, you also have to be on top of your knowledge in your game. And, 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 you know, I call that wisdom, uh, and it has, uh, allowed me to be, uh, to have empathy, mm. to really understand. I, I mean, when you, when you really look at people from the standpoint of a spiritual experience, you know, you have, you know, once you really move towards the union, you really see others as yourself. I, I've had many experiences where I've been in cities, like Miami, and I've seen uh, people on the streets, and I've just felt, you know, I st- my wife would kind of get mad at me, tug me, but I want to talk to them mm-hmm. and speak and be with them because I know. And but for the grace of God, you know, go I. But in reality, everyone really is a reflection of ourselves, and that's that's really where you know. So business is wonderful but it's there's also a little background knowledge in my case that there's something much bigger and it's it's eternal mm. because it before our consciousness here we came out of it and we will go back into it and it's not easy for others to understand this everyone wants to get into concepts in the mind to try to understand this but through seeking that's why there you know i put some wonderful um uh, words of Jesus in the book about you know if you knock and you know if you keep knocking uh, that God will hear you and uh, it's interesting that he really said that uh, right around the time that he gave the uh, the Our Father prayer and uh, you know he used an analogy that if if someone came and asked knocked on your door in the end, in the middle of the night and asked you for food you would you would actually you know with while well, your children and you were sleeping you'd, you'd have probably get up and answer them not not so much just because they needed food but just because of the audacity that you know someone was asking at this hour this is the truth this is just an example of everything is a finger pointing to the moon the real truth is within us that's why one of the biggest concepts that are uh, not concepts but everything is a concept in es- essence but one of the beautiful sayings that i put in that that uh is the the kingdom of heaven is within you and this was in luke it was in the uh the regular um canon gospels but it was really focused on in the gospel of thomas mm-hmm. the gospel of thomas is more of an inside gospel and it was left out of the can- the canon gospels because they had to have some uniformity yeah. in the day of constantine but the real truth is the within us the sad guru to the hindus it's within side of everyone and we can't get it by sitting there listening to the television at night
0: yeah so i'm wondering um in your work that you do in a day-to-day basis just how open are your clients to discovering exploring some of these bigger questions in life so you know what truly matters Yes, you know, w- w- we're agreeing here is that real wealth is within and not what you accumulate on the outside. So and you've just pointed to the fact that it takes work. It's an inner journey. So yes. um,
1: it does know. become easier as time goes on, yeah. because it becomes your it becomes almost. Well, It it is bliss at the end of the day, but my client, you know, it's interesting that this journey for me has been. A bit of a, a challenging one when it comes to my uh, work, because I, I, I work, I work with the spirit with my clients, but I don't, when I first meet a client, I'm not going to come out and start talking about these things. I'm going to treat them with the care that that comes from mm-hmm. being, you know, filled with this. But at the same time, I don't really, so I don't promote this to my clients mm-hmm. and I follow what my firm had requested me not to do. And, uh, but they know, you know, some, of course, are my friends and, and it's sort of like coming out of the closet, if you will. It's authenticity. It took me many, many years to be able to tell my story. Um, and I was encouraged by a, a wonderful, a wonderful friend or two. But that's really it's a bit of a tightrope. And I'm trying to I'm trying to walk it and trying to follow what I'm supposed to do from my company's standpoint. But at the same time, I can tell them if it's unsolicited, if they come to me and, yes. you know, and I certainly have clients who know me very, very well. And we've had the conversations. Once it opens up, though, everyone suffers, uh, Robin. Yeah. Everyone suffers. This is what Buddha taught. Uh, Jesus taught it to, um, of course, Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching knows it. Everyone suffers and many people are out there and they're not realizing why they're suffering. And it's attachment to uh, life in general. It's, you know, it it really is an attaching, attaching to their story. That's why I dropped the story in this book after three chapters. It's not, it's not about me. It's about this ineffable, uh, wonderful, formless uh, spirit which is the spirit of life itself. It's as close as it's as close as our own breath. It's not out it's not out there somewhere. It's 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 a paradox that it's so close. <laughs> so that's really mm-hmm. I hope I, I know I'm kinda rambling on the question, but uh it's a delicate it's a delicate one for me. Yeah. So I'm I'm just kind of coming out with this now and I'm doing it, you know, very discreetly and quietly. Mm.
0: Yes, and the book is enabling that to happen and I think just going back to what you said which you said uh, I think very artfully and um, very poignantly and perfectly that you know in the conversations that you have the conversation will emerge in the direction that people have the capacity to embrace yes so um, you know one of the principles that underpins my work is this principle of social construction which is it's in relationships and through the words that we use that we begin to shape the world we live in so paying attention to how you use language what your values are respecting the other person's perspective or point of view whether you're in agreement with it or not is an act of respect and love so you're demonstrating that and you know we don't go out there and you know, preach our own dogmas or our own views to people. It just doesn't go over that way. So
1: no. I understand what no. you're
0: saying and, and I, I think, you know, the way that you're expressing it in this book, you leave it open, people will either say, Wow, this is speaking to me and touching me and makes great sense um, yes. or not, and that's okay.
1: Yes, and it's it's the real truth is so it cannot be, you know, described. I mean obviously we might point to our religion, which is wonderful. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, having, you know, religion is wonderful. That means connecting to God. I try to be careful with this. It's, uh, the, there is a lot of misunderstanding or, you know, people automatically think, Oh, he's very religious, but there's something beyond all of it. When you touch it, uh, it, it comes when you lose your own self, the attachment to your own ego. Mm-hmm. There's something that comes in place of it. Mm-hmm. It is the, it is the treasure that, you know, Christ said, when you find it, you go sell everything and then go back and buy that piece of land where the treasure is. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's faith and love. It's faith and love. And, and this is what the world needs because we're fighting over egoic dogma in different parts of the world. And we always have the ego you know the ego consciousness has just been running rampant over the, the you know civilization. It's ego versus spirit.
0: Yes, yeah, and how beautiful that we have these ancient wisdom traditions to go back to. <laughs> um, yes, and they're you know they're just as relevant. And it's this timelessness and formlessness and the lack of material um, essence of what you're yes. talking about. So, yes. So Fran, in chapter nine, you point out a number of practices to help people um, begin to take an inner journey if they so wish. Yes. And I just wonder, um, and I actually, as I was reading through these, and it's not a list, you just kind of um, offer these particular kinds of practices or strategies, and I related them to positivity practices. You know, yes. again, that's something that we come from this positive mindset We know how it changes us at the cellular level, at the neurological level, um, Mm -hmm. and emotionally, and so on. So, but it takes work. You know, it's something that you can learn and become skilled at and more knowledgeable about, and then you begin to model it. I see. You know, I created a list here, but I would love for you to perhaps just refer to some of these practices or strategies that you offer.
1: And and let me just say, your your uh, even the name of your your consulting firm, positivity strategist, positivity is so important. There really is only positivity, but we get caught up in the negativity. Uh, it's so, you know, and again, all the great ones spoke of it. You know, it, it, you know, Jesus constantly talked about, you know, being positive and, and, and you are what you think you reap what you sow and what you sow is what you think. And so in terms of the practices though, it's, You know, the first one that uh, is meditation and meditation can be very difficult, but it's something that you have to persist in because when you meditate, you go into you, you, you become the watcher of your own thoughts. You become the witness and that's who we really are. It's the I am within us. And it's 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 the I am concept, you know, is such a wonderful spiritual concept when you really just focus on I am. And not what comes next. Mm -hmm. Of course, be careful what comes next, because if you say I am bad or I am no good, you're going to start to be. That's why the teachers taught, you know, the wisdom teachers we speak about taught to be uh, positive. So meditation is is really a you persist, you sit, you let the uh, try to just let your thoughts Cross and become the witness to them. And as I've moved on, this has been this is the most enjoyable thing that I do in each day. I I have a, you know, a practice of which is supreme knowing that or, uh, you know, an unshakable intuition of divine spirit, which is kind of a burning certainty in faith. You know, faith is so powerful. You know, that's, you know, we, we, you know, interesting in the Bible, you know, if, if you had faith, the as and mustard seed, you can move mountains. It, it really is. And this is what, you know, helps us get over our, our, our vices in life that you, you know, you, you, faith is extremely, and, and, uh, and knowing, you know, the knowing, supreme knowing is just putting your feet down, putting the stake in the ground and having faith, uh, conscious breathing practices. Th- this is a, uh, wonderful, uh, a, a yoga, it's called Nadi Shodhana uh, Pranayama, which is holding uh, one nostril while you breathe in the other, and then you flip your 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 hand so that you close the other nostril. And this is really a way to get the uh, the energy flowing through your uh, your system, and it it really cools the the mind. Uh, mindful walking. I love uh, I have a beautiful river where I met you down the street. And, um, you know, I had just lost two dogs recently and I, I have a new uh, dog, a 10 month old. But I love walking by the river and, and just being quiet and you hear the birds and and you know see when you i used to suffer a lot more than i do now because i used to always have things on my mind i was trying to control you know even after getting sober the business and this and that and you know you'd think about situations where you could have done it better but we're not meant to live like that there is a peace it's the i am within us that we really have to settle into um uh, forgiveness prayers there's a beautiful hawaiian ancestral prayer called ho'opono Opono. and it's very very simple the the, re, the the real prayer is long but the uh the, the 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 version that we use which is i am sorry please forgive me thank you i love you mm-hmm. and we're saying this to our we're saying this to ourselves as well as we're saying it to any situation that may be affecting us, because in essence, just as I said earlier, you know, the the karmic reality is that we 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 reap what we sow. You know, if we can really calm our and and forgive everything, you know, I was taught and I've and I think this is very important that as you move through your spiritual practice, begin to have great teachers. And I was taught to bless everything bless everything in the morning, get up, you do your meditation, and then you begin your prayer. And then you, you know, forgiving everything, blessing everyone. So you could just, even if you're on the golf course and you had to have a bad shot, you know, a little hopono <laughs> just to get you back to, you know, emptiness. Mm-hmm. You see, you know, Thomas Merton, the great teacher, the great Christian mystic of the 20th century, very good friends with the Dalai Lama and uh, with uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, he, he talks of the emptiness. You know, he, he was a, a a monk who lived in silence, but he talks about the emptiness being God is in God is in that quiet mm-hmm. uh, void, if you will. It's it's a paradox. So when we quiet our mind with Opono ho'pono and ask for forgiveness, not only for ourselves, for anything that's resonating, it's letting it go. It's letting it go. Um, and then, you know, th- this raises our levels of consciousness. And I think the the final one I would mention, aside from contemplation, which my book really is a book that you read some of these teach these wisdom teachings and then you just contemplate them. So you don't read this book, you know, maybe my story, you get through that. And, and I also mentioned, I, I should mention chapter seven and eight are investment chapters. And I almost wonder if I should have even just left them out, because this isn't about that. Although I tried to give a a solid, you know, foundation, if someone uh, just a beginning point, but in reality, the, this, the awareness of to become aware of awareness, become aware of consciousness Mm -hmm. itself and what level you're at, because we shift from, you know, uh, Dr. David Hawkins used to talk about the, um, the levels of consciousness. And he did a little grid from zero to a thousand. He used to say that Buddha and Jesus were at a thousand, but most of civilization is below 200, right. which is at this level of anger and fear and, you know, all of this low levels of, uh, of, of our consciousness. We have to be aware mm-hmm. where we are. And when we get anger, we go, you know, if we get fearful or angry, we do Ho'opono opono yes. And we sit and we meditate and forgive everything. And this is what Jesus taught. This was his ministry. He taught forgiveness and love. In his day, there was, you know, a lot of a lot of laws, and he said, no, 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 no. Just here's what I want you to do: love your neighbor as yourself. Love your God with all your power and might, and forgive everyone.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So um, that was seven seven um, practices that you outlined for us um, that are in your chapter nine. <laughs> Thank you. Which is really great. And I also want to. In that same chapter, which is actually called How Would Jesus Occupy Wall Street, which is a great title, um, there are three quotes I want to read. And one comes from um, the Bible, Matthew 7, 7, and you've alluded to that before, and it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. That's one. Then just underneath that, there's another quotation from and I'm it's an Indian name, Sri Nizahadatta Maharaj.:
1: Yes, Nizargadatta Maharaj, and I, Thank I just want to give you. a I just want to give a plug for Maharaj. Westerners loved him they would go they would they would go off to India yes. and visit him. Amazing, amazing teacher.
0: yeah And so on the similar vein, he says, beyond the moving mind. There is the background of awareness which does not change. Uh And then the third quote that I wanted to um, cite from that same chapter, and you've already referred to Thomas Merton, he says, what we have to recover is our original unity. We have to become what we already are. All of those three very different personalities in time and history are saying the same thing
1: yes yeah th- this is you know the, in that chapter nine i i talk about the um uh, and a lot of this comes from the hindus which is how i really understand how i got to get understand christ um because there's only one truth with a capital t as uh, marianne williamson always says there's deep sleep when we're we're not even dreaming and that's the bliss it's almost as if we we die at night in a sense we go into deep sleep there's dream sleep And there's wakefulness, correct? These are the three main Mm -hmm. uh, consciousness levels, but there's a fourth that most people are not familiar with, and it's known as the absolute consciousness. And it is that from which everything comes out of. And uh, there's some beautiful – there's a beautiful quote here, which you didn't mention, by um, Ramana Maharshi, who, by the way, you know, the great psychologist uh, Carl Jung referred to Maharshi as the whitest spot in a white space, meaning India, just a tremendous teacher. And he said this uh, about the absolute consciousness, this alone is is our real nature. Your duty is to be and not to be this or that. Mm -hmm. There are no stages in realization or degrees of liberation. There are no levels of reality there are only levels of experience for the individual if anything can be gained that was not present before it can also be lost whereas the absolute is eternal here and now the here and now mm-hmm. it is not a matter of be- of becoming but of being so this is this is what we are as the i am the witness and it's amazing it just it just, and it's not going to be swallowed in one sitting. This book is a, just a <laughs> beginner. This is just a beginner book. Mm. It's just a, and it's, it is what it is. I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I love my, these, these other wonderful traditions. And I really think, you know, for me, uh, aside from the Bible, which I hold as the, as a beautiful, beautiful treasure, I, I can, I would just be happy. You give me a few of these great books and you go sit and be, there's nothing you need, mm-hmm. but the real – because it brings – it's a pointer pointing to the real truth, the finger pointing to the moon, as Buddha used mm-hmm. to say. It's not the moon itself. The moon is within you, yeah. but you have to keep pursuing and knocking and going. In other words, getting silent. My words can never really do it here today. It, it's, it's an individual journey. And uh, you know, I, I put early in the book. I say that path is for your steps alone. A quote from one of the uh, ba- a beautiful San Francisco band that I happened to uh, become very uh, a big fan of when I was young. So mm-hmm. that's it, Robin. It's a I th-
0: <laughs> <laughs> well. I want to say to you that I'm so glad we had the chance to meet that day, and that your curation of these. Um, Beautiful spiritual traditions and practices and, you know, insights into wisdom is, is just the start for many, many people um, who might pick up the book and continue to pick it up for, as as I have for inspiration. Um, There will be links to the book. Um, and a little summary of our conversation here or my interview with you on the show notes page on Positivity Strategist. And let me just give the link to people who might be listening through their different, um, you know, podcatchers. And so that's positivitystrategist.com slash PS78. If they were to type that in, they'd go straight to the show notes page and find those resources there. And also um, how they could access you. So how might they access you if, Uh, people wish to reach out to you, Fran.
1: yes well i have a website for the book called the yoga of true wealth.com and you can google me if you want to uh find uh, find out where where i work and who who i work for and i have a web you know website for my business i will not mention that as i said i always follow the letter of the law You can connect with me on the yoga of truth, truewealth.com. There's a place to put, to connect for, you put your information in. There's also an email there to uh, send me. And, uh, you know, it's all, it's all goodness. That's, that's really, that's really it.
0: It's all goodness. After giving you my thanks and appreciation for agreeing to come and talk to me today about the yoga of true wealth, is there anything else that you might like to say by way of conclusion, Fran?
1: Well, you know, I was looking at the end of the book, the final yoga, which uh, is from a Gita, uh, a Hindu Gita. It says, always discriminate when you can distinguish between the Atman and the non-Atman. You have reached the culmination of yoga. As this discrimination grows in the mind of a yogi, he reasons this. I am not this body, which is composed of earth, water, fire, air and space, And yet clinging to this body, I desire happiness. Pleasure and pain come and go in the body. Since I am not the body and since in my true nature there is no ebb and flow, I am always the same, serene, peaceful, unmoved by outer events. Likewise, enjoyment and misery have their beginning and ending in the mind. Since I am not the mind and since my true nature has neither beginning nor end, I am always the same, serene, peaceful, unmoved by inner events." Let pleasure and pain, enjoyment and misery remain in the body or the mind. It matters nothing to me, for I am the Atman, existence, knowledge, bliss, absolute, from the Adhuta Gita of Dattariya. Mm. And that is a beautiful and, – and when you hear that, can you not see – can you not relate to what Jesus was teaching? Mm. Is there really only – I mean words. How can we fight over You know, different language? It's one truth and it's, it's wordless. It's only within, within the journey within that we find it. It cannot be, it's not out there, you know, and and I start the book out and maybe this is where I should start and end the book with you today. I start the book out with a quote from Jesus. Uh, He said it in Luke and he said it in the gospel of Thomas a lot. And I'll give it to you real quick. And, and that. I'm moving to it, and it said, Jesus said, and this is what's interesting about the Gospel of Thomas. It's 114 logins, very quick, pointed, pointed sayings from Jesus. Jesus said, if those who lead you say to you, see, the kingdom of, is in heaven, then the birds of the heaven will go before you. If they say to you it is in the sea, then the fish will go before you. But the kingdom is within you, and it is outside of you. When you know yourselves, then you will be known and you will know that you are the sons of the living father. But if you do not know yourselves, then you are in poverty and you are poverty. Mm. Gospel of Thomas three. That's the third logion of the Gospel of Thomas. Robin, thank you so much for having me. You're a you know, you're just you've just a beautiful synchronicity that flowed in to my life back in uh, the summer of 16 and you were trying to help me uh, because you knew my situation, trying to get this, this information out there, the book, and I greatly appreciate you and, and thank you.
0: Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember, what you focus on grows, so grow towards your best.